I see what I say. The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Today's episode is sponsored by Emblem Athletic. The best option out there for keeping your unit looking amazing with custom shirts, hoodies, and other gear. They're a veteran-owned business that specializes in making it easy for you. And if you've ever ordered unit gear, you know how difficult it can be. Emblem knows you have better things to do than design gear, collect money, and worst of all, sort through a bunch of shirts. Emblem takes care of everything, including, get this, free shipping worldwide. When it comes to something like a deployment shirt, you know you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So trust Emblem to deliver the best, guaranteed. Visit www.emblemathletic.com to get started with a free online store today. So this is not normally how we start the podcast, but when Dallas Page tells you to start over uh, the conversation <laughs> we just had, you listen. So right now, as I'm talking to Dallas, like my 13, 14, 15 year old self is fish bumping because in the 90s was, in my opinion, like the height of professional wrestling. And I had so many memories from high school of all the guys going to pay-per-views at the CD bar on Sundays to watch Diamond Dallas Page wrestle. And you always had to watch your back in the hallways because you could end up on the receiving end of a diamond cutter. And so, <laughs> and so I, what I was talking to Dallas about before we started, I recently contracted covid and I'm working on the blog during the day, but by night I'm so tired and I'm just like watching Amazon and Netflix. And I came across two documentaries. One's Relentless and the other one was The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. And immediately I felt a connection to Dallas and tried to reach out. And I saw, I saw it on three different levels. One is work ethic. If you've been following From the Green Notebook, this is something I've been doing for seven years and for the first five of it, nobody was reading anything on this website. And then now it's blown up to where we have 2.7 million views. And it's a legitimate professional development resource for military leaders across the world. And so in this interview, you're going to hear some of, of Dallas's work ethic come out. The next is identity. And I feel like a lot of military leaders we struggle with identity. We kind of take on the, our characters of, of sergeant or captain or colonel. And when it's time to walk away from the uniform, we struggle with that. And you're going to hear from a guy who is all about identity and has been in a business where people get wrapped up in their identities. And at some point, whether it's injury or their time has come, have to walk away from that. And then finally, purpose and passion. And what you're going to see in this interview and what I saw in watching Relentless and Resurrection of Jake the Snake is that Dallas has a passion for helping people. Like that's his purpose in life, whether he was doing it in the ring in the 90s or he's doing it now with what we're going to talk about, DDP yoga. 
So please welcome to the show, Dallas Page. Joe, I, I tell you, I was so taken by the authenticity of what you were talking about. And my whole life, I've been helping people, whether it's, you know, have fun in the bar business or get, you know, get a bartending gig at one of the hottest clubs, which I was running or was in WCW and helping guys find the character that would relate to people. And what I tried to do was try to get them to just amp themselves, like who they were up. You know, guys like Ric Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kevin Nash. I mean, all of these guys, The Rock, that's who they really are. But it's amped way up. You know, it's all about finding your inner self. And for me, my given name was Paige Joseph Falkenberg. And I knew that Paige Joseph Falkenberg, that name was never going to draw any money in the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> so I created this guy, Diamond Dallas Page, and I always loved the name of Page. And it's so crazy. My girlfriend today, and I've been with her for a year and a half, and it's the love of my life. Her first name is Paige. Her last name is McMahon. How funny is that? Wow, wow. No relation. No relation. We should dive into that, like on a psychological <laughs> level right now. Yeah, right. When Paige Joseph Falkenberg was trying so hard to become this bigger-than-life wrestling persona, I never really, like, connected with the people. But the instant that Diamond Dallas Page started to take on the characteristics of Page Joseph Falkenberg, man, my career just took off. Now, I was an eight-year overnight success. Like, it took eight years. And you mentioned work ethic, and I want to tell you where that comes from. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with football, and I loved hockey. Like, you know, nine years old, I was playing peewee, 10, 11, 12. When I was 11, I was starting both ways, defensive end and center. And I was like dream oriented. And a dream without a plan is just a dream. But when you're 12 years old, you don't really understand the plan part, you know, but you still have the dream. And I loved professional wrestling. You know, I thought, man, that would be so cool to do. But my passion at 9, 10, 11 was football. And my dad was page one. And I, I come from a broken family. I bounced all over the place. But he knew I never dug, you know, would listen to page two. You know, not that I wanted to be first. I always say there's better than, there's less than. And whoever's the best, everyone is less than them. Unless they're different than. And he called me Dallas because I liked the Dallas Cowboys as a kid. And I don't know if I liked the stars or Roger Staubach or whatever the reason was, you know, but there was reasons. And Dallas became like a nickname that only me and him knew. So when I started to try to wrestle when I was 23, I'd gone to see the movie Alien and the captain's name was Dallas. And at that point, I was going to start to train to be a wrestler at 23. I thought Dallas. Page, I go, that's a great name. And then I was a big, handsome Jimmy Valiant fan back in the 70s. And so I became handsome Dallas Page. And I tracked down Gorilla Monsoon. And we went to a show, me and my buddy at the Asbury Park Convention Center. It was so funny. 
looking back now, that Gorilla, like he had his bag next to the ring. Like when that match was over, he wasn't going to the back and changing. He walked out of the ring, grabbed his bag, and left with the people. And that's where me and Shipley got to him. Gorilla, tell us, how do we get into wrestling, man? How do we get into wrestling? We bothered him from the moment we got to him until he got in his car. And he finally gave us a guy who trained guys up in Jersey City. He was an enhancement guy, a, a guy who went out there and lost all the time. But there was independent wrestling everywhere. So the guy worked all the time. And he was training us one or two days a week. I had three matches. The third one, I hurt my knee. And I mean, I was, I, I stopped. You know, I, I, I was green as grass, but I hit my knee. I did something to my knee. I jacked my knee up and it put me on the sideline. And I got an opportunity to run my first little small rock and roll joint, little small place. But I'd been in a bar business since I was 18 already. Now I'm 23. Now I got a chance to, you know, run a little bar. And we had rock and roll there and stuff. And then I got sucked away by the booze, the broads, and the party, you know, and I and I never and I didn't go back to the dream for many years. And I thought it was over. But let's go back to that knee injury. Back when I'm 12 years old, like again, fixated on like I had such natural ability. I worked hard, but I didn't have to overwork. I didn't know what that meant. Like putting in way more work than anyone else. I didn't know because football is football. It's not like you're to you know, improve your skills. They didn't have all these training centers that they have today for specific positions. And the kid plays that sport year round in some way or another. This is 1968. And what had happened is I walked out in front of a car. It hit my right knee. My face bounced off the hood. And I flew 42 feet from impact. I end up in slush. There's no ambulance. They pull me in. I was completely knocked out. Woke up to my face. I just felt I was swollen everywhere. I went to the hospital. They cut all my clothes off. They had to do surgery on my knee. I had torn my cartilage, my meniscus, and piece of my kneecap was chipped off. And there was no rehab in 1968. So... Football and hockey was over for me. And I even talked my mom into, because I'd see her once a month. I was living with my grandmother. My grandmother raised me, my brother, my sister. What had happened was I convinced my mom to take me to Dr. Nicholas. I had seen somewhere that he fixed Joe Namath's knee. Well, he gave it the operation that got him back on the field. And Willis Reed. And I'm like, mom, take me to him, please. That's what I want for my birthday. Just take me there. He'll fix me. And he basically said, you're never going to be Joe Namath. You're never going to be Willis Reed. I'd suggest you hit the books because I can't give you permission to play, you know, with your knee in this condition. And at 30 years old, I was reading at a third grade level. Wow. I grew up with ADD and dyslexia. So hitting the books wasn't an option for me. Figuring how to work my way through school, that was my option. But back to the kid now who's crying like a baby, like as depressed as I could be. The only two sports that they would give me the okay to play, baseball and basketball. How they gave permission for basketball knowing it was a knee injury is beyond me because there's more torque on your knee 
in basketball than anything. And I had figured out a way to rehab it somehow. But at seventh grade, I hated basketball. I didn't even make the team. Baseball, you need at least five guys just to screw around. Right. You need at least one guy to throw the ball. Basketball, you don't need anybody. And eighth grade, I made the team because I was six foot two. And uh, you know, I mean, I still suck. So I sat on the bench. And I had never sat on the bench. I didn't know what that was like, you know, but I learned and I learned that ain't ever going to be me again. And that summer is when I learned that work ethic equals results. Because that summer, I seriously would play from five hours a day to 10 hours a day. Like I was never picked in the beginning. And then I finally got picked because they didn't have enough guys. Basketball, there was five, six uh, baskets there. They're only playing full court on the one. You know, you can shoot hooks and layups and foul shots. And you can improve if you put the work in. And eventually I got picked. And eventually I was picking the teams. And eventually I was one of the best players on the Jersey Shore. Not the best, not of the elite level, but pretty damn good. But by the time I went to junior college, which again, I manipulated my way through school. I'll just say that. In junior college, I was all region. I scored 23 points a game and 13 rebounds. I even got a scholarship to Coastal Carolina. Back then, they weren't really like focusing on your grades. You know, today it's a different story. Right. Of course, right. you know, but what I learned was work ethic equals results. Inside my WWE Hall of Fame ring, Inside of it, inscribed, is work ethic equals dreams, explanation point, DDP. I love that. And I think, you know, it's interesting, too, because this happens at 22. You go off and you get into the, you know, the restaurant business, the bar industry for, you know, for a long time. And, and that's kind of where you build your identity. But then you change it again at the age of 35. And finally break into professional wrestling when some of these guys have been doing it their entire life. Could you talk about like what that was like getting into wrestling at the time? Well, I had a little background, you know, a very little bit, you know, from being 23, a little bit. And then at 31, I was just screwing around one night in the back of the bar and I was drinking with my buddies after hours. Now I'm running a huge nightclub, you know, like, Legally, 350 people. We put 1,200 in there. <laughs> you know, It was the hottest. It was in Fort Myers, Florida. And it was the hottest spot between Sarasota and Cuba. I mean, it was, it was jamming. And after work one night, we were just sitting around and drinking, you know, after we counted the money and everything. And that night, sitting around, someone brought up wrestling. And one thing turned into another. And next thing you know, I'm doodling on this pad. and. I write down, you know, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I write down Diamond Dallas Page. I say, you know, I could be a manager, though. You know, and Jimmy Hart's got the Hart Foundation. I could have the Diamond Exchange. Oh, wow. And I wrote that down. I tell everyone, don't just think it, ink it. I write this down. And in this scenario, write it in your phone. Have alarms pop up on your phone. It's funny you say that because you're going down this path of being a professional wrestler. And, you know, this mantra you have is don't think it, ink it. 
And then here we are on the military side. And this blog is called From the Green Notebook, which is where we capture all of our lessons, all of our ideas as military leaders. And so that, that's the same thing, you know, like, so if you could find a thread between the two that equals success, you know, it's the work ethic. It's not thinking it, it's writing it down so you can actually see it. And in your story, writing it down all of a sudden leads to the creation of Diamond Dallas Page. And again, it's in my head, but it's on the pad. And the crazy thing that happens within about a week, now I did all my own radio commercials. The club was called Norma Jean's Dance Club. And I owned a little piece of it. I was a general manager. I ran the show. I did the contests. I did the radio commercials. And I would throw like synthesizer, the voice, Thursday, Thursday. We'd have that kind of thing to grab people's attention. But maybe I might go, oh, yeah, Wednesday, hot legs. Oh, yeah, thinking, thinking, thinking. I don't want to miss that one. $1,000 in cash and prizes. So they didn't know if it was Randy or Hulk because Jake Roberts had been in my club because he stopped in between Miami and Tampa. You're working Miami. The next night you're working Tampa. That's 300 miles. Fort Myers right in the middle. Ted DiBiase, I got a picture on the wall. I'll show you this. This is 1987. This is DiBiase doing upside down <laughs> shooters of tequila. Wow. Me pouring that. Ted was at my house about three months ago, came up. We're trying to get him to do DDPY forever. He finally called me and he said, me and Mel are ready. Can my wife come with me? I said, absolutely. He came here for a week. We're sitting out at the, you know, at the table, dinner, having dinner. And he starts telling his wife this story about me and him doing upside down shooters of tequila. I go, I'll be right back. I walk downstairs, grab that picture, and I hand it to him. He's going, oh, my God. So back to this, there's a station network for Southwest Florida. And it was called the Party News Network. And they wanted to do a story about the voice. Like, where does the voice come from? And they video me in my 62 pink Cadillac convertible. They video me at the radio station. I'm wearing a WrestleMania t-shirt. I am not involved in wrestling at all. I'm just a fan. And they interview me in my office. And at some point, Joe, they say to me, so where does the voice come from? And I look down, I'm at my desk and it's sitting right in front of me. And I don't know if I do it if there isn't a pair of white sunglasses, white wraparound sunglasses, like as a mask, sitting right next to Diamond Dolls Page, the Diamond Exchange, the Diamond Dolls. And I grabbed those sunglasses, I put them on, and I said, the voice comes from Diamond Dolls Page, daddy. I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big, it's bad, it's Norma Jean's voice. And then I went back to talking, you know, and just normal voice. And a guy saw it. I tell people all the time, never underestimate the power of you doing something and you don't know who's watching. You never know. It has happened to me over and over and over again, but this is the first time that it really hits me. I get a call and 
they want to talk to Diamond Dallas Page. And my girl at the front desk is like, uh, Page, they want to talk to a Diamond Dallas Page? So I pick up the phone and I said, who is this? You know, because just my buddies were in there. And he tells me he's got a radio show. And he wants to have me come on because he normally does boxing. But one Saturday a month, he's going to do wrestling. I go, bro, I don't really do it. It's just in my head. It's something I was playing around with. And he goes, well, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on. I go, Captain Lou? You're going to have Captain Lou on? He's like, yeah. I go, can I talk to him? He's like, absolutely. You're my expert. I go, I'm in. So I do this show. And then the next month I do it with Sergeant Slaughter, who is just another amazing cat. And afterwards, me and Smitty go for a beer. And Smitty says, you know, you really got to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. There's something there. I go, Smitty, do what? There's no wrestling in Fort Myers. He wouldn't let it go. He said, I got a friend of mine who used to be a boxing promoter. Now is a promoter in the AWA, which is like Midwest territory. And he said, I'll bet you if you send him a tape, you know, you might be able to trigger something. I'm like, yeah, right. Like what tape? He goes, you'll figure it out. So, Joe, I take three guys. One of my buddies I call Big Bad John, dress them all up. I got another guy, Rock Hard Rick. And I got another guy called Ted E. Bear. And he comes out with the Diamond Dolls. I put these promos together and I just make it up. Just make it up. And I send it to him. And two weeks later, they call me and they want to bring me and my guys in for a tryout. But they had one question. They're like, we've shown your tape around. Everybody likes your stick, but no one's ever heard of you guys. Where are you guys working at? Well, uh, Rob, none of those guys can actually wrestle. What? Why would you send the tape? I'm like, because it's like a secret society. You know, no one can figure out how to get in. You know, and if those guys could be training, I could be managing. And what ended up happening? Paul E. Dangerously, who today is known as Paul Heyman, right. his real name, one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling, that's not a wrestler. He leaves the AWA, goes to NWA, and it left a huge void for a young guy that could talk. Next thing I know, Greg Gein is on the phone to me. He's saying, bring all those crazy clothes you have and a couple of those hot girls, and we'll give you a tryout. And next thing you know, I'm managing B-A-double-D, Bad Company. And that's how I got in. And for the next three and a half years, between that and Florida Championship Wrestling, Dusty Rhodes took me under his wing and brought me in. I mean, it looked like I was eventually going to get to the WWF or the WCW, but then the AWA went away. And then Florida Championship Wrestling went away. And now I'm just in the bar business again. The dream's over. But Dusty leaves the WWF at the time and comes to the WCW to be the head writer. We call him the booker. And I had a real relationship with him. And again, I tell people all the time, it's not about who you know or who knows you. It's about who's willing to say they know you. Who's willing to pick up the phone and say, you got to get Joe in this. Yeah, the lieutenant colonel, like this cat's going to make things happen. Like who is going to put their name on the line for you? And Dusty brought me into WCW at 35 years old. 
And I had no contract, no guarantee of nothing. I sold out my interest. I'm following this dream. Wow. I said, club's still going good. I leave. I'm like, okay, you know what? I just need this amount of money and I'm good and I'm out. And I went for the guarantee of $350 a night, no guarantee of days. And I finally got a contract about four months in. And five months into that contract, Magnum TA, who was a superstar in the 80s, he had gotten a serious car accident. And he was Dusty's right-hand man. And he came up to me and he says to me, listen, D, we can't let you manage the guys anymore. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? What did I do wrong? I'll change it. He's like, no, he goes, it's not, it's not your fault. And I look like that guy back then, you know? <laughs> he goes, the hair, the clothes, the bling, the dolls, the rap. It's not your fault, but you're taking too much attention away from the wrestlers. What we should have done was put you in a pair of tights and boots and see if you could do this. And he walked away, kind of laughing, like, wow, that would be a hoot. Right in that exact moment, I didn't go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I went, plan B. Like, I never got into this. Michael P.S. Hayes and, and Jimmy Jam Garvin, I was managing. We're about to go. We're about to go to the ring right before they tell me this. And I'm standing at the curtain. And up comes Jimmy and Michael PSAs. And these guys were the biggest ribbers ever. They bust my chops all the time because they love me, you know, ribbing me all the time. But this is the first time I ever saw them truly empathetic. Like they felt bad. They're like, hey, Dave, we're sorry to hear it bad. And, you know, this is just the business. And I looked at them and I said, you know, I never got in this business to be a manager or a color commentator. Since I was a kid, I wanted to be a wrestler. I got seven months left of my contract. I'm going down that power plant. I'm going to learn how to wrestle. And Joe, they looked at each other and burst out laughing so hard. They thought it was the funniest thing they ever heard. I'm 35 and a half. You're going to do what? Hayes fell down on the ground laughing. And I gave them both the year number one sign and walked to the ring. And that was the beginning of my journey. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I didn't. Today's episode is also sponsored by veteran-owned Alpha Coffee Company. Their premium 100% Arabica coffee is freshly roasted for a bold, delicious flavor. Alpha Coffee supports veteran charities and has donated over 19,000 bags of coffee to deployed troops. They also offer a combinable 10% military discount and 10% off for subscriptions. Taste the Alpha difference. Purchase their coffee today from their online store or via Amazon Prime. And you followed your dream and you rose to the top of the industry. And so I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what it was like being a wrestler in the 90s. Could you talk about the lifestyle that you guys led? Because it was grueling, right? Grueling, man. Like, it took me a while to get to the top from 1988 to 1996. My career at the end of 96 really took off. Prior to that, I mean, I was 40 years old when my career took off. Again, first guy to ever ice his body, do consistent deep muscle massage therapy, chiropractic, applied kinesiology. I started changing my diet way healthier because I knew the fuel I was putting in my body 
you know, needed to really power my body so I could take the abuse because people think they see you on Monday nights or Friday nights. And that's when they think you wrestle. No, no, you wrestle when you're on top 270 plus days a year. That means you get in a car, you drive to the airport, you hop on a plane, you fly an hour, two, three, cross country, you get out of the plane, you go get your rental car, you go eat, you go to the gym, you go to the building, and then you drive the next that night or that next day, 100, 200, 300 miles to the next town. And then you do it again and again and again. When I was home, I would call it 37 hours at home. In 1997 and 1998, between doing The Tonight Show seven different times because I wrestled with Malone and against Rodman and Hogan, and we shot the angle on The Tonight Show, you know, to be in Jay Leno against Hogan and Bischoff. Then you got to train these guys, too. Plus, I'm on the road wrestling. Those two years, I'll bet you I had off a full 30 days the entire year. And the abuse that is put on your body, you cannot fake gravity. You'll be, oh, wrestling's all fake. Really? Let me just pull you in here for a minute. You know, because when we're out there, we're trying to make it look as real as possible. It's a dance, but it's a very physical dance. And when the red light's on, meaning cameras are on, we beat the hell out of each other. And it's grueling. And the schedule. I love the wrestling part, but the traveling part after the wrestling part was brutal. You know, I was watching your documentary, Relentless, and hearing more and more about your career, the stuff I didn't see as a kid and as a teenager, you know, it made me think about what we do in the military. You know, when Iraq and Afghanistan were kicking off, I was gone for 13, 14, 15 months at a time, would come back every year. And then do it all over again. And then when we're back here, we're constantly training. So running every day. And then I just remember a couple of years ago, I'm struggling to get up out of bed and, and walk down the stairs. And it's taken a little bit for my body to warm up. And so I just thought, man, like there is a connection there. You know, I didn't see it at first, the surface level, because I'm watching these guys on TV. But the time away from home, the time away from, you know, families, and then I imagine there's a brotherhood aspect too that just develops among the guys. Is that correct in that assumption? Yeah, we're like a really dysfunctional family. There's very few guys that get towards the end and you know haven't mended whatever wounds because there's a lot of ego. You mentioned Iraq and Afghanistan. I didn't go with WWE. I went by myself. I went with another group of people. First time I went with Rob Dibble and these guys you know, orchestrated us coming out there. I was in Iraq in 2003, five and seven. And I went there for 13 days at a time. And I would go out. I would, I've been to Fallujah. I've been all the places. 13 days is enough for this damn civilian. So I, I saw what you guys go through, man. And, and every bit of the military, it's all about creating conditioning, mental strength, stamina. And the reason why I call it DDPY as opposed to DDP yoga company will always be DDP yoga. But the reason why I'm branding it DDPY is because I want people to stop calling it just yoga because it's not. I didn't develop it for yogis. I didn't develop it for one of the 25 million people who do yoga. They got through yoga. I developed this for cops, firemen, military. 
That's number one as one group. But then really bricklayers and guys who have physical jobs that without that job, without their bodies feeling good enough because they played maybe just high school football, then they ate a bunch of garbage. And now they're in the early 40s and they can't bend over anymore. You know, they can't pick stuff up. It's like, this is the fountain of youth. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because you got injured in your wrestling career as you're making this climb to you know future championship and you got injured and this is what you found, right? As you were trying yeah. to figure out different ways to get back in the ring again. I am the guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga the first 42 years of my life. I started wrestling at 35 and a half. I was an athlete my entire life. I started focusing on wrestling. It beat up my body like incredibly, but I kept finding ways to what I call hold back the hands of time, preventative maintenance. When I wasn't hurt, I was still doing all of that. And my career finally took off at 40. Like where you saw me cutting all those diamond cutters, it was all in my 40s. I just finally signed the big deal because up to that point, they didn't pay me. I had a horrible contract and I could have re-upped, but I was waiting for the end of it. Hey, don't pay me. I'll go WWF and then you're toast. You know, so according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Steve Austin was the number one wrestler in the world. I was number four, 97 and 98. So easily I was in the top 10. and. I blew my back out. You could say I broke my back. I ruptured my L4 and L5. Now, God gave us this amazing spine, right? In between the vertebrae, God put these amazing shock absorbers. They're called discs. When you rupture a disc or your L4 and L5, it would be like you stepping on a jelly donut. So now there is no cushion in between there. So I had three different spine specialists, I mean, top in the world, tell me, you're done. It's over. If you even think about getting back in that ring, you will be crippled. You want to talk about emotional gravity and pulling myself down into a depression. But the one thing I do know is that The Rock, Tom Brady, LeBron James, Oprah, Every one of those power people go down. They just don't stay there. They feel it. And then they let it go and start figuring out how am I going to fix this? I'm the same guy. How am I going to fix this? Now, my wife at the time, Kimberly, now she had her master's from Northwestern at 22 years old. Genius check. And she was like, you should really try yoga to heal your body. And I'm like, I ain't doing yoga. No, that's not going to help me. She's like, how do you know? You try everything because you think yoga's girly. You're not going to try it. Like she literally bullied me. She goes, your contract, it goes away in six months. And then you're cut in half. Six months later, it gets cut in half. You worked so hard for this. How can you not see it? I'm like, okay, okay. So she gives me a couple of VHS tapes. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I came across a guy named Brian Kess from Detroit, and he was a hoodlum as a kid. And his dad told him, 
at 16, you either start doing yoga or you're getting thrown out of the house. And it changes life. He and I today are good friends. Uh, he's actually in Relentless, the uh, documentary. And he, he's like the Hulk Hogan of yoga, <laughs> you know, of power yoga. And a really great guy. But the VHS tape didn't have any modifications. And everyone was like Gumby. And they could do all these crazy moves. Kimberly could do most of them. I couldn't do any of them. But I figured out a way to modify the moves. And in less than three weeks, I started to feel a significant difference. Now, I'm still going to rehab for my back. So I'm learning all these different rehabilitation techniques that they're giving me to help strengthen my back. Not to get in the ring, just strengthen my back so I'm out of pain. Now, I've had both shoulder surgeries, both rotator cuff tears, both knee surgeries, one when I was 12. And on my right, I tore my meniscus twice. So I know a lot about rehab. So about three weeks in, before I go to bed, you know, I'm going at 20 minutes at a time the first week or so. Then I go to 30 minutes, but I do it two or three times a day. Before I went to bed, I started to mix the rehab with the yoga positions. Then I go into rehabilitation techniques. Then I added old school calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches. And then I added something, time under tension. I call it dynamic resistance. What it clinically is, is isometrics and isokinetics, which is moving isometrics, just like you're moving weight, just like you're time through tension. And what I figured out by accident Every time you flex or engage a muscle, your heart has to be faster to get the blood to the muscle. Before I know it, in less than three months, I've created a workout today is known as DDPY. That's kick-ass cardio, dramatically increased flexibility, strengthening your core at a whole different level, all with minimal joint impact. In less than three months, I was back in the ring. At 42, they said my career is over. At 43... I got that world title belt. And that is our Oscar in professional wrestling. And I've held it three different times. And it proved to me that, again, work ethic equals dreams. You know, after you were finally done with wrestling and you start getting into DDP yoga, which I want to talk about because I'm doing DDP yoga right now. And so I, want to get into that because I want to talk about how we're doing it as a family. Um, That's awesome. And getting everybody into it. But like, did you doubt, did you ever have doubts as you're going down this path? You were <laughs> at the height of your career and now you're going into yoga, which is a completely different world. I mean, did you ever doubt yourself? A hundred percent. But when I've left wrestling, the first thing I did was acting and I spent three years like studying. Got a couple parts, Devil's Rejects in, you know, I'd already done Ready to Rumble, but I'd done a bunch of smaller flicks. And I realized at some point, I think I was 48 at the time, maybe 49, that I'm never going to get this town to believe in me as an actor. Not right now. I'm going to have to reinvent myself again. And I thought, I'm helping so many people with my workouts. I need to write a book about this to give it credibility. And I got one of my buddies who's a chiropractor and he was also a yogi for 15 years at its highest level. And I said, okay, dude, 
I don't want to do yoga. I want to create this. I was putting together that healed me. Now together, I want you to see the flow. I want you to see, because I know you know the body better than anybody, your, your muscles and your joints and all of that and a proper yoga flow. I want to make sure I've got that. And we went through it. He was like, man, you're spot on with everything. And then together we wrote a book called Yoga for Regular Guys. Back then I was calling it YRG, Yoga Regular Guys. And so many people, I was filling up a park with people wanting to work out with me. I'm like, this is going to go somewhere. And then I made my first DVD set. And that's when every single person got an email from me. I wasn't selling a lot of them, nothing like today, you know, but back then, if I sold 20, 25, 30 in a month, you know, I'm, I'm building, I'm building one person at a time, but every single one of them, Joe, I would send an email. Hey, thank you so much for believing in me. I'm not trying to sell you anything. You already got it. I want to thank you for that. And I got a couple of questions. I would really appreciate it if you would answer some of these questions. I was doing my own survey. And then I got an email back from a guy named Arthur Borman. And Arthur Borman was 100% disabled. He had spent 14 years in the military, in the Army. He was a paratrooper, had over 500 jumps. And you know, every time you land, you don't just get up and walk away. You, know, you tweaked something or you heard something. Because you're, you're coming down 10 feet a second or whatever the hell it is coming down. You're not power gliding. And then he survived the helicopter crash. And then after that, they sent him home. And he really wanted to do his 20. And then he went to be a teacher and his knees and his back and his hips. And it got to a point where the guy could not walk without the aid of knee braces, back brace, or wraparound canes. The doctors told him he was never going to be able to walk without those braces. And the VA wouldn't work on him until he got under 250, you know, because you can't have all that weight on whatever they're going to do with his knees. And long story short, I ended up emailing back and forth with him. And I knew that if you just need to lose 50 pounds, when I asked him, I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. The cliff notes were disabled veteran, morbidly obese relegated to thinking of myself as a piece of furniture. And he sent me the pictures. And then I sent him this eating plan, which is my phase three eating plan, which is all about health. Like you want to heal your body? This is what can happen. He only wanted to lose 50 pounds. And I knew he'd lose weight with this if he just stuck to it. The first month he lost 32 pounds. The second he lost 22 to 30, lost 18. That's 72 pounds. In 10 months, he would lose 140 pounds. More importantly, he lost the knee braces, the back brace, the wraparound canes, not just the walk, but run. The really key part, he had never had the knee surgeries. That showed me that it was more than just my workout. It was an eating plan that put fuel in your body as opposed to garbage and could help heal your body. And most people don't have any idea. If you go on my app, and first of all, I want to say something about the military because it's all about military. I never go over 30% off on my app ever. And I only do it at Christmas. The rest of the time you see 10%, 20%, maybe 25. 
but you'll never see more than 30 unless you are in the military or retired from the military. And then it is 50% off every single day of the year. And that's just my way of giving back to you guys because I know what this can do. And Arthur's my best example on every level. And Arthur would end up like inspiring. I would inspire one guy. He is inspired. And I will literally say billions. billions I remember watching the videos. I think it was a decade ago, right? When they started yeah. the rounds on social media. And, you know, if you don't know what we're talking about, you know, do a Google search for Arthur Borman or look for it on the DDP yoga website. But you can't watch that video without getting some sawdust in the room. <laughs> Just moving you. And so Dallas talked a little bit about the app. And because, you know, one of the ways I connect with him is this work ethic. So I've been listening to, in preparation for this interview, been listening to the interviews, all the ones you've done. Then I started doing the app. And so I use the excuse to do DDP yoga as research um, (laughs) with my family. But that's the thing is a lot of military folks, right? Like we go to work during the day. We say we're doing fitness at work. And a lot of times it's not always the best exercises for us. And then we come home and our kids are on their iPhones or whatever, playing video games. And we're just not connecting a lot of times as a family. And so what I found through your app, Dallas, it's an opportunity for us to come together for like 26, 30 minutes, do something that's positive for all of us. Right. And when you try this app out and try out the workout, I mean, it's, it's like small things, right? Like the moves you have, like superstar. I mean, some of it's like really lighthearted and we kind of laugh sure. or hulk it <laughs> up, you know, yeah. one of the moves. But then at the end of it, there's like a game almost, like a wheel you spin. And so right. for us, like that's what my 10-year-old son does when we finish it, you know, and I always rib him like, hey, you know, can you try to get more than 50 points this time? <laughs> On the wheel. And so it's a great opportunity to deliberately invest in your family for 30 minutes around a physical activity that's going to promote health in your families and really like just bring everybody together and laugh about it. And a quick story on that. So one of the things that you say, Dallas, all the time is make DDP yoga your own, you know, like like (laughs) during the workout. So my son starts laying down in the middle of the workout and I say, Hey buddy, get, get up and start doing this. And he's like, dad, he just told me to make this my own. It's so- <laughs> <laughs> tough to correct that, you know? <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't think, I don't think that's what he meant, but I, I really, I've only been doing it for just over a week now. And it's amazing. Like you already start just very quickly, you know, you start feeling a difference right away doing these workouts. I tell people all the time, like in one workout, you'll feel different in a week. It can literally like get you to where you start to believe. And when you can feel better, that's what really people want. They want to feel good. And so many guys I know in the military are so beat up because again, everything that you do in fitness, like I know that they just brought CrossFit in there. And at one time they were doing P90X. All of that beats the hell out of your body. You know, I will take the most finest conditioned guy in the military and he can't work with me. I'll be 65 in five weeks. The finest conditioned guys. If I want to, I can embarrass them. 
It's funny you say that because I get mad at you because I'm 39 and I'm watching some of your flexibility and mobility that I just don't have because again, I'm just starting this and I've right. been doing workouts have just torn my body up over the years. But at the same time, I'm like, if Dallas can do it, that's it. At, at I can do it at 39. And then some of these other apps that I've tried in the past too, it's like, Hey, do 50 burpees. Right. And you know, my wife's coming downstairs at like five 30 in the morning. And she's like, what the hell are you doing right now? And with your app, it's these moves that are getting your heart rate up where like, I've just got my earbuds in, you know, at five o'clock in the morning and I'm doing some of these exercises and it's like, my heart rate is getting the same, but I'm completely quiet doing it. It's that dynamic resistance that you were talking about. I'm going to send you Joe, the newest thing that I've developed and you'll see if you look on the app or in the workout section, it'll be a section that's called jacked. And there's 30-minute jacked workouts and there's 55, 60-minute workouts that are jacked. What it is is blood flow restriction. And you wear the cuff or the strap around your top of your wrist. And I wear them on my legs now too. They were developed by a Japanese physical therapist for rehabilitation. Now there are a lot of different people make them. I needed something that was super functional. So I got with a company and they let me change how they did things so I could make them super functional. This will flip you out because you don't have to lift. You know, to me, the workout, the mindset, have you got a chance to read Positively Unstoppable yet? I haven't, no. Okay. I'm going to send you that and some straps. and. Let's get back on in about a month and we'll just reach out that people have write in for some questions or whatever they want to know. We'll even give away a couple of uh, app, you know, That's things awesome. so the guys can, you know, I mean, get these out to you. It'll probably take about a week to get out to you. And I'm just going to give you the upper body for right now. And where do you see the muscle density change? Do you lift weights still? I do. So I have a gym in the garage that I built. Right. A couple of your workout with, don't judge, with Chris Hemsworth. Some of his his workouts as well. Uh, but just for 30 days. Okay. Just for 30 days, I only want you to do the jacked workouts. You're not going to believe. I want you to get your strongest weight, whatever it is on the bench, whatever, your curls, your right. bench, incline, whatever. And whatever you decide, like, this is where I'm really strong. Then don't lift for 30 days. Just do this. And let's go back and see what happens. I appreciate it, Dallas. And real quick, two things. One, where can people find you? If they want to know more, if they want to follow you on social media. Yeah, social media, Twitter, at RealDDP. Of course, at DDP Yoga. Instagram, at Diamond Dallas Page, at DDP Yoga. If you want to hear about this program, don't listen to a word I had to say about anything. Go to Facebook. It's not my site. It's a member site. My buddy Chris Gabriano started it. It was for just members to talk about the program. It's now over 57,000 people that are super active and ridiculously supportive. And you will find people on there who are hundreds of pounds overweight to people with PTSD, to people who've been in an automobile accident, to, you know, a mom who's, you know, started and stopped and, you know, and just looking for some sort of encouragement. People like who you would never see let their picture get out. Put up my six pictures, like, 
look at here and look at me now. Three months later, it's like, there's no site. It's DDP yoga, one word. And it's a members only site. And it's, I think, the most powerful spot on the universe for people who are looking for hope. And they find it and then they inspire. And that's the beautiful part. Thank you so much. And today, I mean, just talking to you again, I got 13, 14 year old me, like super pumped, but just the <laughs> conversation, man, just, just fires me up. And I want you to like, write this down. Never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. Work ethic equals dreams. Thanks so much, man. This was awesome. <laughs> All right. We're going to do it again. After I get you set up, see what kind of impact you, know, you get out there, any questions or whatever. I've got so many guys. When I was in Afghanistan, I was always staying at a different fob. So wherever I ended, I worked out with those guys. You know, and God, it was 13 years ago. And I can remember a guy going, I can't believe a non-military guy just kicked my ass. I said, how old are you? He said, 22. I said, no, a 52-year-old civilian just kicked your ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bro. Great talking to you, man. Thanks, Dallas. See you, buddy. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to all our listeners for joining us on another episode of From the Green Notebook. Check us out at fromthegreennotebook.com where you can download past episodes, read some of our previous blog posts, and sign up for our monthly reading list and Sunday email. If you enjoy the podcast so far, please subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at FTG Notebook, as well as Instagram and Facebook. You can find us by just searching From the Green Notebook. So this is Jacob Garonsky signing off. And hope you tune in to our next episode. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been running from the law. Hope they won't shoot me down soon.